For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the only podcast that wants to know if Adalis Garcia has ever been on skates, owned skates, or would be willing to try. It's time to do a little bit of stargazing and mark for the first time this season we're talking on the back of a dallas stars loss um how are you holding up emotionally not well not well thank god for the rangers right (laughs) that's a game i thought they were going to ranger it until the very end (laughs) (laughs) as uh, as i was pointed out on the uh, on the Twitter, didn't know that the Rangers were still owning Orioles pitching. They just don't always have to be with the Orioles. <laughs> I love that. I like that so, a lot. So that that was, of course, brought up by an Orioles fan. So there you go. So you know it's legit. There's only it. two of us. It, it was it was a game. I remember my wife at one point. She was sitting with me watching, and the Rangers were up. And then by the time she came back into the room, they were down. And she was like, "Huh." I thought they were winning, and I yeah, said I, that I discussion well. would have it would have meant sit down and don't get up. It's right, never <laughs> go anywhere. But uh, it was it was good. But we're not here to talk about baseball, although Jamie Ben did make an impressive showing at batting practice. The guy can guy can swing a stick of all of many kinds. But we are here to talk about the Dallas Stars. Of course, we're going to cover the loss to Toronto. We'll talk about the win against Pittsburgh. We'll talk about the season so far. Uh, Dallas, of course, is sitting reasonably pretty at, at uh, what is it, 4-1-1. One, and one. Uh, We're going to do our TV on the internet radio bit again, uh, incorporating some feedback from Schluck, which is one of my favorite um, listener names. So we're, we're going to take take some feedback and grow, and we'll just talk a little bit about how the team's doing. We're going to get into some nerdy stuff, and we're going to get into some eye test stuff, and really see where the morning takes us. And, and on 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 that note, Mark, where where do you want to start? Where's your head at? I, I think I'm pretty good here. The yeah. the Stars lost. You knew they were going to lose at some point in the season. Um, what? Yeah, and and you know if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen against Toronto because Toronto just seems to beat the Stars no matter what. So I mean, it, really it, it was suck. bound to happen, and uh, the team actually looked pretty good in a loss, which which is is kind of a comfort zone, don't you think, for Stars fans? Yeah, uh, yeah, you you can do everything that you want, and you still lose, and then and then you can complain about it, and every once in a while you steal one the other way, and you don't have to recognize that. It's it's the old moral victory Dallas Stars, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I I tell you the theme for the season this year is going to be how do we deal with success? I I don't know that this fan base is really ready for a team that is supposed to be in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, and and it's weird because we've you know, the results if you just look at the points, if you just look at the wins and the losses and everything, they're the team is where you want it to be. Toronto appears to be a very good team, so it's not like they, you know, it's not like they went into Anaheim and got beat 4 to 1 and you know, you forced 31 saves 
out of a goaltender and and some big name guys, Mitch Marner, right? You get you get that some big name guys contributing against you. So there are certainly, to your point, some things to look at about this game and say, hey, you know, Dallas played quite well for many, you know, for stretches and and got robbed or couldn't convert or all that. So if if you look at this game in isolation, I think I agree with you. You burn that, you know, it's one of those, you take the good, you take the bad, you move on, you play Columbus on Monday and you hope for a better outcome, right? There's no need to make this a thing. But I do think there are some elements of the game that are worth, again, they nothing is worth, you know, nothing is worth anxiety or, or really worry yet. This is a team that's, you know, third in goals against. Um, it's a team that's solid defensively. It's, it's a team that's doing well. But there are some things, I think, that we need to start thinking about because if they're still happening in a month or two, then we may we may have a problem on our hands as Stars fans. And, and the first is I am not thrilled with the Dallas Stars power play right now, Mark. I think they're sitting at 11%. Um, so far, the league average for, for reference is, I think, 19%, almost 20%. So what was supposed to be, you know, oh, we finally, you know, we've got the, the fire-breathing dragon first unit. We finally have a productive second unit. And at this point, I believe Dallas's power play has been outscored by its opposition. They've scored twice, and they've given up three shorthanded goals. So not great, question mark? Well, I, I think you're taking the narrow view because here I, I I didn't check after Toronto, but going into the Toronto game, the power play did have an expected goals for of about 52%. So so even though they've given up three and only scored two, they, they're underperforming expectations. And it should be just barely slightly positive. Yeah. So, so I think I think as long as we can institute the rule where we can decline penalties, we should be fine. <laughs> I think we're still still lobbying the league on that one. But it's I think that's a good point. Um, and I think it gets to something that both worries and doesn't worry me. And on the don't worry aspect, you know, we are still early season. They've played six games. Uh it's you know too too soon to be drawing any serious conclusions, regression monster, blah, 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 blah. However, and this is maybe my my fan speaking more than my analytical brain speaking. It certainly feels like this is a team that this particular group has been historically prone to these stretches where the power play just can't get get anything. You know, it's Dallas is frustrating in that they're not a 20% power play because they score on one of five chances every single night, right? They're a 20% power play because one night they score five times and then two weeks later they do it again. And it it feels like sometimes this unit struggles to produce on individual sequences, right? And it's sort of they they ebb and they flow, I think is a better way to put it. Well, and and here I will say I heard the feedback. My my clip for this week is a positive clip, but my backup clip was actually a uh, a power play where we gave up a rush the other way. So I looked at this a bit. I think one of the issues that this team's having on the power play is that they're very mechanical with the puck movement right now. Yeah. And when you're mechanical, you're somewhat predictable. And so being predictable, especially when you're depending on passes that are going from side to side up by the blue line, you end up uh, getting pucks tipped and, and the teams, teams are going the other way. And so I think I think they're probably going to be working on that this weekend. 
and, uh, and, and just loosen it up, uh, get the puck zinging a little bit more as opposed to thinking about what you're supposed to do and then doing it. And this, this all, this, this will be coached out of the way. And so, uh, you know, a couple of weeks from now, we won't be worried about this, but for now it's, it's just real predictable and mechanical and predictably it's not working very yeah, I think I think that's a good call out, especially the types of chances they're giving up do seem to be things that are getting pounced on running across the blue line. And the second unit has struggled a little bit more than the first with puck movement. And the second unit is where we've had more um, variance. And so I can I can see what you're saying. It, it does feel like something that that should get coached out if given enough time. Yeah, so it's you know it's, it's been uh, it's it's been frustrating. You know, certainly certainly giving up three goals uh, shorthanded in one game was was an eye opener. Now, being the stars, we won that game. So of course they uh, did. So, of course, so of course they did. so not a big worry. We still got the points, but yeah, not something that your heart wants to survive too often. No, so not something you can. And like you said, it's, it's you know, prefacing this entire bit. I think it will get fixed. And when it gets fixed, things will be fine. Check back in another two or three weeks. And, and here's hoping that it does get fixed because there is, I believe they did change the coach responsible for the power play. There are significant new pieces in particular on the second unit. So there is some stuff to work through. There is some stuff to work out. On the positive side of the ledger, I'm, I'm looking at the stats and there are, if you don't count the goaltenders, there are four Dallas Star skaters that have yet to register a point this season. And three of the four, Radic Foxa, Yanni Hakapa, Eslindel, okay, you know, you, you, you'd like to see them get involved. They probably will get involved at some point, but this is not exactly a team that's, that's dependent upon those three for offense. The name on the list that I wanted to talk about was Nils Lundqvist, who, of course, he's been on that second power play unit. He's playing almost 17 minutes a night. He was a guy that many have been looking at as beneath Thomas Harley, a piece that's going to help the transition game, help the team. Same question. How significant is it to you and how indicative of his play is it to you that he is still sitting pointless through six games? Well, how many pipes has he hit? Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's I, at this he's point got I think it's somewhat meaningless. Right. Yeah, he he's he's activated well. I I have no concerns that Lundqvist isn't performing much better this year than he did last year, and he, I, I think he's definitely one of the top four defenders on the team. Yeah, I mean his metrics, right? He's he's positive in his possession metrics, Corsi and Fenwick. He he's doing a good job. Like you said, he is hitting posts. He's his ice time has been consistent so far. So it certainly seems like the coaches agree with you in regards to how valuable Lundquist is. Like I said, he he played 19 minutes on opening night. It was down 13-53 against Toronto, but it was 17 both games before that. So he's he's definitely in their plans, not getting tagged for a bunch of chances against or a bunch of goals against. So again, you think once the power play fixes itself, he probably inches his way up a little bit, but you know, like I said, the other three, I don't think this team needs to worry about Fox, a Hawk and Paul Lindell not contributing. The really good news I think is everybody else has at least one point. And that's, we talked about balance in the off season. That's a pretty big deal for this team. That's been so historically been over-reliant on a single line. Yeah, and I you know I've been I've been plowing out previews and every single preview I do this year is one where I say, you know, one of the advantages that the Stars have is that they can roll four lines. They, everybody else is sitting there it's a, okay, they have two lines that you have to worry about and then they have the 
rest. And so let's figure out who matches up and we'll take advantage of that. Yeah. And I, I have yet, you know, other than potentially Vegas, there, there's nobody else really out there that, that rolls four lines the way the stars do. No, nobody in the league. Top, if you look at the totality of the forwards, all of them. Yeah, I don't think there's a team in the league that is as scary as Dallas is from first line to fourth. Yeah, and, and so that's why you can take a look at something where where you have the potential of maybe Mason Marchment playing on a, on a fourth line. And here I, I'm mentioning this after he probably had his best game in the last you know, 12 months against Toronto. Um, but he and Foxa seem to have some kind of chemistry together, and it's been a while since we saw somebody with chemistry with Marchment. And so if you take if you take those two pairs and then find somebody else who who maybe adds a little bit of speed to that line, and that's a very competitive fourth line and one that you really don't worry about putting out there for 12 or 13 minutes a game. No, they can draw penalties. They can create offensively. Sam Steele's looked good with that unit. You mentioned, I think it was, it was either an article or something you talked about, but it was, you had talked about how they kind of seem to benefit from simplified roles, right? On that, on that unit, you've got Fox in the middle, big body face off. You've got Marchment kind of unleashed as the four check guy, right? And then you've got Steele moving together. So it's, it's, it seems like, like Marchment has, has benefited in a way from removing some of the, the noise of a top six role, I guess, for lack of a better word, it's, it's, he's not trying necessarily to be this offensive facilitator. He's just playing, you know, his, his North South physical, you know, draw penalties, you know, get chances game. And that, that seems to respond well to the line mates he's got right now. Yeah. And, and I think it works well. You know, I, I always take a look at lines and you, you kind of look for two guys who are going to have some chemistry together and then you 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 find a third guy who's going to fill out the weaknesses yep. that the two bring, and and I think Foxa and Marchment's games kind of have have some synergies here that uh, that we can explore. Yeah, I and, think yeah, you know, and 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 one of the things we saw we we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of line blender type things in the last two games. And one of the things that might be interesting is, is is what happens with Craig Smith. And and in particular, I thought he looked as a complimentary player real good with Wyatt Johnson and Jamie Benn. Yeah. And of course, that's Wyatt Johnson, another guy worth calling out. Second on the team right now. The Pavelski, the Pavelski household is one, two in points. Johnston has two goals, three assists, five points in six games. I want to I, I seem to remember, we'll have KT pull the tape. I seem to remember during the last podcast that one of the two of us predicted that Johnston would start having some, you know, his production would pick up. He, he'd have a good little stretch. Uh, I can't remember which one of us that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, since I'm always bad talking about Johnston, it must have been you. It must have been me. It was, it was, it was me. It's between the curtains, I, I, I knew that. But it was, um, he has been, I think you're right. He has looked fantastic. Um, we're seeing more of what we saw last season. Johnston and Ben just seem to have a vibe. It, you know, to your point, it, it seems like that allows Johnston's ability to use space and to find gaps in coverage seems to really mesh well with Jamie Ben's bull in a china shop. I'm going to blow everything up and then have the hands to do something special. And yeah, Craig Smith has been a nice a nice piece alongside the two of them. So Ben's got four points. Johnston has five points, and that unit has been it, it you know consistent from last season. They've been they've been dangerous since the the puck dropped. 
Yeah, and, and here what you're really seeing is we're working out who's going to play right wing with who, because you you have Dodonov who's who's looked fairly decent with with every line that he's played with. I was gonna say he yeah. gives me Yuri Letnin vibes, and not in the same, not in like defensive ace, but in the sense of Letnin was at his best when Hitchcock would just drop him on whatever line needed him. And I'm getting that sense that that's how DeBoer likes to use Dadnoff. He's he's the guy that shuffles between the you know everybody's seems like everybody there's there's twosomes everywhere. The first line not the first line's set, but the rest of the lineup it's it's Deshane and Sagan. It's you know Ben and Johnston. It appears to be Foxa and Marchman at the moment. Right there's these little pairings, and Dadnoff seems to be the guy that just gets plunked down on each pairing for a little bit based on what's going on. Yeah, and you know, I I tend to view him as a as a, a less unpredictable uh, Alexander Radulov. Yep. You know, he he's the guy who, you know, you better be ready for that pass because it's going to come from somewhere. Yep. And and he just has this creative knack of of getting the puck into dangerous areas, and he needs to play with guys who are pretty skilled. Because if you aren't skilled, you're not going to know what to do with the pass. You're just not going to realize that the pass is coming in the first place. Yeah, yeah, you've got to have an IQ minimum. Must must be this tall to play with, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I love it, it. There were some interesting scenes with 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 the Donov and Marchman on the bench, where they hadn't. It didn't look like they'd been paired much together, and and they kind of got this this first blush. Here, you do this, and I do this, and they 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 were getting pretty excited about all the ways that they they could react to each other's play, and and so I, I I'd like to see Dodonov on that fourth line with Fox and, and Marchman. I think it would open both of them up. I think you're right. And I think this team, we talked about it in the in the preseason, I think this team finally has the depth for that sort of experimentation. So I'd, I'd really love to see DeBoer lean into it because he is not so very, you know, he can he can move Dadnoff around and still get production out of Johnston and Ben, still get production out of Sagan and DeShane. Like there's, there's, he's not going to gut the offense if he tries something new with Dadnoff, which has not been the case all the time, right? So it's, he's got that flexibility. I hope he uses it. Yeah, and I think I think maybe you you start looking at somebody like Ty Delandry or Sam Steele being the the third guy with Duchesne and Sagan. Yep, I and, think in, in the if you could hit him with the truth beam, I think the organization would probably like for that to be Delandria, and you know, I also and, it's way too early, but Maverick Bork and Logan Stankoven are playing pretty decent hockey down in down in Cedar Park right now. Yeah, Stankoven got a got another one last night. So yeah, it's uh, he's he's looked pretty good. To, to tell you the truth, I they bring they bring different parts to the to their game. Stankoven just has a knack for the puck, but Bork's game is the one that's really impressed me this year. Maybe maybe just because I watched him quite a bit last year, and and the amount of growth that he's shown in the last twelve months is is just incredible. And he, and there's a reason why he's he's wearing a letter uh, in, at your uh, park. It it feels like he is on the Harley track. Yeah, like it, it really feels like he's a guy. He's not. It's not going to be soon. By the just to put some context, Stankoven through six games has five goals, four assists, nine points. Um, Bork through six games has three goals, five assists, eight points. So both of them are uh, straight crushing it, straight crushing fools. Yeah, I mean, and, and they're uh, playing with Blue Mel, so I mean, it, it, it's yeah. kind of an unfair five, five line. Yeah. Blue Mel, so he's not exactly he's no slouch. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think you're right. They they it's it's 
he seems I would say Stankoven's getting a lot of the glitz, right? The five goals, but I I'd love that you called out Bork's all around game because I think if I'm a GM, if I'm Pete DeBoer, if I'm a coach, right? If I'm Nilla DeBoer or whoever, I'm probably a little bit more interested in what Bork is doing right now because it is in all three phases. And he's a guy in it's six games, way too tiny sample size. But the way he's playing right now, Bork is absolutely a guy you could say, okay, he's going to go be the third with, um, you know, Sagan and Deshane, and like, okay, that'll probably work, right? Or he's going to go be with Ben and and um, Ben and Johnson. That'll you know, you can see him doing that. Yeah, of course, this being the stars, you know, I, I fully expect that we'll we'll probably get uh, Oscar Backer, Freddie Carlstrom called up. So, and I don't know that I it it's you know it's situational, but it's it's the classic like if you just need a fill in then I wouldn't bring them up either. I'd rather them play significant. You know, I'd rather Bork be on the first power play in Cedar Park than on the fourth line in Dallas. And same thing with Stankoven, right? So I, I don't think I would call either of them up until it's a situation where there really is a, you know, and it, with Dallas, it's more of a top nine than top six, but I wouldn't bring either of them up until there's an offensive role that's worth filling. And even so you called out, they've got to, they've got to figure out, you know, get a look at Craig Smith first. Depending on how he keeps playing, Sam Steele could get a look. Maybe Marchment plays his way back in the conversation. He had a goal last night. So there's, it's not, you know, the the other reason I use the Harley comparison is I don't think it's imminent with either of them. Well, let me let me just throw a little monkey wrench in that, please. Because we we're uh, let's we're let's talking, monkey around, Mark. We're we're we we just spent a few minutes talking about being able to roll four lines. And then and then we kind of went to old man, uh, well, this is an offensive prospect, so we need to make sure we have a role for him in the in the top six or at least the top nine. I think Dallas has enough depth here. And, and with what Pete DeBoer is doing with his lines, I'm much less concerned about somebody like Maverick Bork or Logan Stankoven coming up to Dallas and playing fourth line minutes because you have a fourth line that has skill. Even if, because for me it was, again, it was more, I agree, it was more time-based though. Even if it's, you know, because I, I look and Delandria played 1248, Steele played 1157, um, you know, is it is whereas Sagan's at 16 and a half, um, Robo's at almost 18, Hens is 16 and a half, Ben is at 15. Like, it, I know it's only, it, it sounds like only a couple of minutes, but it's it's a number of shifts and that that would be my it's my concern is less that they would get stuck with the Stonehands brigade and told to to back check constantly. I think you're right. They would be given opportunities to attack. It's more that when you just look at the way ice time is distributed at this stage in his career, do you want Logan Stankoven in Dallas playing 11 minutes a night? Well, here's here's the point, though, because the way Dallas has been using call ups in the last couple of years, especially with with their prospects who are who you actually consider NHL slash AHL guys, is that they do bring them up for those 10 or 11 minutes to give them an opportunity to do one of two things, either justify more minutes or to figure out what they need to work on. And then after a couple of games of doing that, go back to uh, to Texas and work on those things. Yeah, that's a good call. And, and and so I think just the way the organization works, it's more likely that you're going to get those 10 or 11 minutes a game with with a first call up than you are to bring somebody straight in and, and drop a minute, 17 minutes without having played an NHL game. That makes a ton of sense too. I think you've talked me into it. <laughs> I have no beyond, beyond saying I agree. I have I have, no, I have nothing to add. I think you've you've put it very very succinctly. So, so anything else to say? You want to you want to just do a little pay on here for Jake Ottinger? 
Yeah, because I, I and I want to get into that by, you know, we were joking in the pregame. I was looking at, you know, potential positives, negatives, warning signs and all that. And one of the things that, that jumped out at me was Dallas's PDO is sitting at 102.9. And the long and the short, it's your shooting percentage plus your save percentage. And the, the classic rule of thumb has been when that number gets over 100, it suggests luck. And you kind of start to get worried that things are going to regress. And when it's under 100, you um, you know, you, you can be confident that things are going to get better. So I wanted to ask you, hopefully to recreate the conversation we had prepping for this, I want to ask you, how much do, does that number under normal circumstances, seeing a 102.9 is very high and would strongly suggest that a, a sharp correction is in order and the team is about to struggle. Do you think that that is true? I, I think it's partially true and i think it also is reflective of just how jake ottinger came out of the gate and you know what, what i think he said that his uh his save percentage is somewhere a little north of 95 percent it is yeah he's so, sitting at 952 with a 1.44 goals against so pretty dang good yeah so so we're talking about calgary level uh jake ottinger yeah. which probably isn't sustainable over the full season. How dare you? But there's no reason why you can't see Jake Ottinger sitting in the 92 to 93% range. That That's just an excellent goaltender and puts you right in the Vezina com- conversation. And yeah. the way Ottinger's playing right now, I think he deserves to be there. I agree. And and you look at his his positioning has been solid. He's not, it's not smoke and mirrors goaltending. He has a pedigree. He's 25 years old, which is right in the age range. He's done this before. So, you know, th- you think about all the reasons why this could be not true. You know, you think you look at his his state precision, you're right. It probably won't stick at 952 because nobody's does. Like that, that would be we're we're in slam dunk Vezina territory if he winds up with with that kind of number. Like that would be phenomenal and I'd love it but it probably comes down a little bit but again elite performance out of Jake Ottinger is in no way against his career norms so there's no reason to think that that it's not going to stay high and the other thing I wanted to call out the other fun number is Mark put you put you on the spot here a little bit what is Jason Robertson's current shooting percentage not nearly high enough I would say maybe six percent uh, 5.9. So fantastic, fantastic job. His, his, of course, his career shooting percentage. I want to say it's like 12, 13. Per- oh, here we go. I've got it. 15.4 for his career, including 14.7 last season, 18 the season before. 30. So all of this is to say, and if those of you that listen to the, the nerd cast with David Castillo, his shooting percentage tends to return to meet to norms. So if we talk about Ottinger potentially regressing and the impact that might have on the team, we also have to talk about Jason Robertson regressing to his career norms, which is shooting about twice as well as he's shooting right now, a little bit more than that. And so, you know, you start to see things could balance out in either direction. Yeah. And, and I think maybe what you're going to find out is that as Jason Robertson's shooting percentage goes up, the power play gets a lot better. Yeah. And, and he's, and it's also, he's getting chances. He had a very nice um, bull rush to the net against Toronto. Wool made a good save. Robertson got in a little bit too tight to elevate, might've had a goal there, but he's playing. The chances are there. Um, he's got a goal and three assists through six games. So four points through six games is it's a fine pace anyways, 
but there's every reason to believe we've got one of those monster monster robo games lurking and, and then hence as well as shooting 11% so he's he's probably going to come up a little bit so there's there's still some room for growth you know we talked in the preseason about how this team was you know the question marks were all on the defensive side and the offense was going to take care of itself <laughs> they're they're third in goals against and 25th in goals for which honestly gives me a lot of hope because there is a lot of room for improvement in that 25th out of 32 teams goals for. And I think Dallas is going to climb that ranking real fast once things start to click. I, I, I think the top line gets on a heater at some point here and, and we just have a have a couple weeks of, uh, of obliteration. Yeah, I think you're and, right. And, and that's going to be fun to watch. Speaking of fun to watch, we're going to take a little break and then we are going to be back with another round of TV on the internet radio. So let's let's pay some bills. KT, take it away and we'll, we'll be back in a second. All right. So as I mentioned, we do listen, believe it or not, to the feedback we get. Um, Schluck said he wanted to see positivity. And he wanted to see something a little bit under the radar, not necessarily pure highlights. So, Mark, your clip, I believe, takes care of the first, if not the second. Walk me through what we're watching. Well, I was going to let you go first since uh, <laughs> since I went first last time. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't get Schluck's message. So I, of course, picked the obvious play from the Toronto game, which is Mason Marchman's goal. And let's break this down a little bit because this goal came after a extended period of time where Tyler Sagan and uh, and Matt Duchesne uh, are in the offensive zone. Ryan Suter's playing defense. Mira Haskinen's playing defense. They're just rotating the puck all over the place. Toronto is chasing. They have mixed lines out there, including the, the majority of their fourth line as a forward core. And ultimately, everybody gets tired. And we get a lazy pass over on the uh, on the left blue line where you know, Miro Haskinen and Matt Duchesne have something picked off and Toronto has a chance to clear the puck. But they can't afford to ice it. And so they take this cross ice pass that doesn't really make it all that far. And at this point, you get you get a couple things happening. First off. What you get is that Tyler Sagan and Dodonov go off for a change. And this is a second period change. So they have a short change in the offensive zone. And Toronto takes the same advantage where they're looking to get two forwards off the ice, but they have the long change. And then what happens with this cross ice clear is that Ryan Reeves goes out to try and delay the play. And what he ends up doing is chasing after the puck, and Ryan Suter gets that, gets the puck, and makes a very quick, very quick uh, pass up the boards to Matt Duchesne. And so Reeves is taking himself out of the play, and I'll come back and talk a little bit about about what Reeves Reed needs to be there. But Duchesne takes the puck, gets in the zone. Uh, Marchment and Ty Delandry are charging in off the bench. And Duchesne makes a little delay, which allows Delandria to just absolutely head straight to the net. And then he cuts to the center ice, becomes a, a uh, an option for shooting. And then when that's taken away, he makes a nice little slick pass over to Marchment, who roofs it. 
Yeah, it's it's a. It, I love I love that you call this out because even before all the stuff you talked about, there'd been more possession. But I think there's there's a lot of of good there, and I want to highlight for me there were two things. The first is coaches always harp on getting the puck deep. I think this is a really good example of why that matters. The Reeves play you're talking about. Toronto actually, if you see in the initial clip, they get the puck out of the zone, right? I think it's um, uh, Suter, I believe. No, sorry. Sagan. He tries to shovel pass that actually gets intercepted, and, and Toronto gets it into the neutral zone. But like you said, it's the second period. There's the long change. So they don't get it deep enough. When Toronto's forwards go to change, they take themselves out of the play. Whereas when Dallas makes their change, those forwards are changing into the play. So Dallas is sort of able to manufacture an odd man break by virtue of the new players they're putting onto the ice are closer to the net than Toronto's players. And that all breaks down to instead of, you know, when Toronto finally does get the puck into the neutral zone, instead of throwing it hard into the defensive zone, it's, it's a tentative. It's, it's a, it's, it's not, it, it doesn't get there bluntly. Yeah. And as a result of it, not getting there, everything else keys off of that by the virtue of that puck, not getting deep, all of a sudden Toronto loses two players and Dallas gains two players effectively, which is, you know, you look at the, I've got it freeze framed right now. The moment that Marchment releases his shot, you have four Dallas stars in frame and, you know, three Maple Leafs in frame, one of whom is prone on the ice, one yeah. of whom is standing, you know, the other two are one directly in front of the goalie and those directly in front of him. So the defense has completely collapsed at the point that Marchment scores the goal. It's almost like Giordano, who is who is the guy who's flat face down on the ice, has given up. Mm-hmm. Um, because at this point, he's probably about two minutes and, and 20 seconds into his shift. The Landry's part is the part that goes completely unrecognized because he creates all this havoc by going hard into the hard, hard into the crease. And yeah, he, so for, that, he forces the collapse. You're absolutely right. Yep. Because if, if they don't stick with him, then he's open for the pass that Marchman gets. Correct. Correct. And, and then the two, two other decisions that I think are, are really good here, one of which is Ryan Suter, because Suter and Haskinen. Two actually, podcasts in a row. I know. We're suddenly a Dallas Stars Suter cast. <laughs> <laughs> but but Suter and Haskinen have actually been on the ice quite a long time here. And one read here would be to take that puck and cycle back, let Miro change out and, and, and then try and reapply the pressure. But Suter sees that Reeves is coming out to challenge him and not taking away the pass up the boards. And so he makes a very quick read to to do that little bank pass over to Duchesne, who's also made himself available for that kind of pass. Well, well, his his line mates are going off for the change. So that's that's kind of one little read there. And I think that, and then we'll get into the next, I do want to to break Mm -hmm. in very quickly. I think, and, and we don't know, we're not in the room, we don't see the X's and O's. My strong impression is that that is a coaching influence because this is a team now under Pete DeBoer. It's they're not reckless, but I think there is more of a green light under this coaching staff for Ryan Suter to make the decision he made for Deshane to make the decision. This is this is a team that is looking for that counter more aggressively than they have in the past. And as a mentality, when Suter gets that puck, he has been encouraged I think, because we're seeing it consistently, I believe that he has been encouraged to try a pass like that versus maybe cycling back behind his own net, letting the team change in front of him and then attacking. Yeah. And, a, lot, a lot of coaches in this league 
a lot of and in a lot of leagues, a lot of coaches would would look at that situation and say, well, what Ryan Suter needs to do is back up further, right? Secure possession of the puck, let his partner get off the ice, let a fresh batch of forwards get onto the ice, then progress the puck, then change himself and be much more deliberate with how they move up the ice. Right. And that wouldn't necessarily be the wrong thing, but I think for this roster, Dallas has the ability to not have to do that, and they didn't here. Well, and the thing, you, you always have to kind of look at the potential downside of that decision, and the downside is that Haskin and, and, and Suter have been on the ice for over a minute at this point, and so if you if you aren't careful with that puck, what you end up doing is having your defensive pair trapped out on the ice yeah. where, where, where something's already extended when, when the other teams made a change. It's, Hey, guess what? We're seeing it happen in Toronto's into the ice as we watch this clip, right? Right, right. Exactly. Now the, the bad read that I'd like to concentrate on here is, is the read that Reeves makes. And it's a bad read for, for one reason. And the only reason this is a bad read is that it's the second period and it's a long change. And so Reeves has to go into that situation understanding that the only danger that he's facing at that point is Matt Duchesne. Worst case scenario is if he cuts off Duchesne and, and in essence heads straight to him as opposed to pursuing the puck, the worst that's going to happen is that Suter's going to reverse and try and skate the puck up into the zone. Yeah. Which is a significantly less dangerous situation than opening yourself up to this bank pass where all of a sudden Duchesne is a threat immediately. Because it's the long change here in the second, Reeves needs to play more conservatively in playing that puck. And, and if that was the first or the third period, he made the right read. But in the second period, that's the wrong read. Especially second period after a shift that has already been long, right? It's it's Correct. I mean, old coaching, old coaches preaching, have a clock in your head, right? And know the difference between the decision you can make a minute into a shift versus 10 seconds into a shift. And and you're right. It's there need, there's a sit there's a game situation component of that recognition where it's, I've been out here way too long. I need to do the conservative thing versus with Ryan Suter. It's yeah, he's been out there for a while, but he's got fresh forwards and his team has the puck and he has a couple, there are a couple of things on Suter's side of the ledger that give him the ability to be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, and, and the the interesting thing here is, you know, the the one guy who's really not in this whole play is Miro Haskinen. He's chilling. He's chilling. <laughs> well, you know, even even elite superstars, just sometimes you got to let the kids learn themselves, right? And I think Miro is con- content to do that. Well, I I, I think you know it, it's actually a good read because what Miro is doing is he's staying on the ice as opposed to changing because yep. if if something goes wrong with what Suter is doing, he's going to be the one guy back. Exactly right. His part, he's giving his, it's, it's, you're, you're covering your partner, right? Yeah. is making sure that, that it doesn't blow up on them. Now, the thing that I want to call attention to, and it gets a little bit lost in the shuffle, I know that it's like a six foot pass, but the pass that Matt Deshane makes to set Mason Marchman up for that goal is staggeringly intelligent. And it's, it's do not underrate it just because it's simple. And to really understand it, just watch Toronto's goaltender, right? He has to come out, you know, as Duchesne is coming in and coming across the top of the crease, right? Wool has to come out and challenge. He cuts down that angle. He has to respect, you know, Duchesne is a great player. Duchesne is open in the spot. Wool is on the top of his blue, moving from his left to his right, taking that away. He also has to respect Delandria coming at the net, right? He He's Delandria driving the net, plus Deshane being in a threatening shooting position, force Wool to anchor himself. He has to play that shot. 
So if yep. you can see his angles, his angles quite good, and he played well all night. You know, Duchesne is is right about where he'd be as the left winger on a faceoff, getting ready to shoot the puck. And Wool is set. He's got his you know good feet, good stick, glove you know glove waffle everything. Defenders are taking a couple of shooting angles. Like he's, it's it's a good look for for Duchesne, but given the constraints of the situation, things are relatively controlled from Toronto's perspective. As soon as Duchesne moves the puck, and again, I'm looking at my screen, it's maybe maybe five or six feet. Um, as soon as he moves the puck, he kills both defenders. Now nobody's blocking a shot. And he kills Wool, who still has to be a little bit respectful of the fact that, that Delandry is now wide open on top of the crease and has to get from the middle to his right. Like the, it, it just the, – the shooting angle that that simple pass creates turns Marchment's shot – into slam dunk. I mean, it's it's it was brilliant and it was beautiful and I loved seeing. Yep. Now now let's just get more of it. Yeah, exactly. They need they need to do it more often. But it's it's a really good example of hockey as a momentum game, and how it doesn't have to be. You know, with with Suter's pass, it took the entire neutral zone. It was a long pass. It was great. You know, sometimes it's a home run that that goes you know from one end of the ice to the other. Other times you make a really simple read and it it causes havoc. And this is a case where Duchesne did a very big brain thing and put his line mate into a wonderful position, yeah. which oh. is a perfect segue to the clip I picked, which is right around the, it's 1653 in the first period. It's another good play by the stars. And it's another instance where nothing happens. Uh, they don't end up getting anything out of it, but it starts with Toronto with possession in their own defensive zone. Good stars, you know, good stars for check, but Toronto's able to beat it. Toronto's able to make his own entry, um, chips up against the wall. Dallas wins a puck battle. The thing that I love, it's a really small, simple thing. Again, it's Deshane at the heart of it. Deshane gets the puck maybe, you know, halfway between the top of the faceoff circle and his zone. He's, there's good defensive coverage on Toronto's side. They've got two four checkers, but they're coming back. He's got one forward on him, a defenseman retreating into the zone, another defenseman further back. So Toronto's in a pretty good sequence. And you can see from the start, Deshane initially starts to turn up ice and skate it. But what he's going to quickly realize is first he's on his backhand, which is, you know, a weakened situation. The Toronto defender has a pretty good angle and Duchesne is facing the boards with his team behind him. What that means is Toronto's defense is running the guy into the wall, right? They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're playing the angle. They're slowing things down and they're trying to get Duchesne to skate himself into a trap. Right. If he comes a little bit further, if he gets to the blue line, he's going to have a forward on him. He's going to have a defenseman deep. He's going to have a third defenseman blocking up the middle, and he's not going to have very many passing options. What I love is instead, Duchesne recognizes this, pulls up, and instead of progressing, stops. And he's got he's got two wingers, one at the blue line, one basically level with him, both skating. You know, one Toronto. You talk about layers, right? All of a sudden, he's got a defenseman and a forward pursuing, and one forward deep, defenseman sitting at center ice. And at the moment that he pulls up, which is right around 1638, there's nothing open. Nobody's really, he could go back if he wanted to, but there's really nothing there. And so instead of continuing to skate forward, he comes back, not much, about a foot, but it's it's one of those classic, think about a crossing pattern in football. By virtue of stopping and taking a stride backwards, all of the sudden, Duchesne has created passing lanes to Dadenoff, and I believe it's... I, I think it's Delandry. I can't remember the other four, but all of a sudden Deshane has created a passing lane that turns instead of getting skated into the wall for a turnover, 
he triggers a two-on-two. Again, his his movement backwards creates a passing lane that kills three Toronto players. And all of a sudden, Dallas has a two-on-two. They don't end up getting a shot. Um, it's you know, Dadunov's passes in Sagan's backskate. He's not quite able to kick it to a stick, right? It doesn't turn into anything directly, but a little bit better luck on Dadunov's pass. And, and Sagan's got the corner and may, may end up with a pretty good shot on wall. And, and the reason I pulled this out, the thing that I like is I love it when players use negative space. And what I mean by that is when they go backwards, because hockey is such a, it's a railroad track game, right? You're on skates, it's momentum. You're, it's difficult to move channels. And so by virtue of stopping and moving backwards, Duchesne is able to beat the coverage effectively. And again, it's just like the pass that led to Marchman's goal. It's a little thing. He moves maybe two or three feet over the course of that decision, but that's all he needs to turn it from pretty good defensive coverage into a pretty good look for the Dallas Stars. Right, and and you take a look at this and you say a less skilled offensive player would have probably skated himself into the trap. General old-school Dallas Stars coaching probably would have avoided the trap but would have ended up being a flip down the a backhand flip down the boards that would potentially go for icing, but uh, but in essence be a turnover and uh, and force you to reset for the puck coming the other way. To your point, for a lot of players, what they'll do in that situation is skate as hard as you can, get to center ice, and then throw the puck into the offensive zone and see what you can do with it. Or if that gets cut off, you just flip it and hope that it stops before it gets over the end line. And so here, here's somebody with, with offensive chops, and it doesn't necessarily get reflected in anything, but he makes a read that opens up something that creates a potentially dangerous chance. And, you know, this is hockey. It's not like you do one thing and it automatically causes a goal. What it is is, is doing things consistently that give you opportunities to score. And so we've created an opportunity to score here, and it doesn't work out, but fine. You do that enough, and you'll put the puck in there. And I love that that's exactly right. And and thinking about, you know, watching as fans, what do we look at to understand how the team is playing? Yes, it's very easy to look at the marchment sequence and understand that Dallas did something good because they scored a goal. But if you're watching a player like, you know, Matt Deshane, he's got two points on the season, um, assists in back-to-back games. Heading into that, he'd had a couple shootout goals, but that was really it. For high-end offensive players, to your point, what you what you really want to watch is are they creating change? Like, what is the quality of their decision making, and what is the quality of the chances they're creating? And yes, you should, by virtue of doing that, see plenty of goals and plenty of points that comes naturally. At the same time, you don't always. And so when you're when you're thinking about, especially early season, when you don't have a ton of a sample size. Don't focus so much on Duchesne with two points in six games. Focus on how many times he's doing things like that. And I'll say that, you know, the same thing about Ben, same thing about Robertson, hence all the all the guys. The the number of times they're doing that, because exactly what you said, Mark, if if Duchesne makes three or four of those big brain plays every game, he's going to get to a phase where all of a sudden he's collecting points, right? Putting them in, putting them in his basket and having good nights. And so when you, when you worry is not when the points aren't flowing, you worry when a player like Duchesne starts skating into that trap, starts dumping that puck, right? That's when you look at it and think, Oh no, there's a problem because really the only thing that prevents this from turning into a great scoring chance is that Dadunov's pass is maybe a foot behind Sagan and he has to kick it to, he has to try and go back foot to stick blade instead of just, you know, receiving the pass. And that has nothing to do with the quality of the decision to Shane made. Game inches. And, Game and, inches. and opening up space is what it's all about. 
It is. And I think that went well. I like that. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Um, good, good, good job. Self, self pats on the back. <laughs> <laughs> we were positive. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? So we got another long weekend. Dallas doesn't play until Monday when they've got Columbus. We'll conclude here, Mark. You're, you are Pete DeBoer. What are you working on over the weekend based on what you've seen in the season so far? Power play. Yeah. Yeah. You, pretty much. you gotta, you gotta get, you gotta get something a little less, uh, less mechanical and, and you want that to be a threat as opposed to an area of concern. Yeah. Yeah. You want it to be a threat for you, not against you. I agree. The other thing I would add is I think Jake Ottinger is playing phenomenally. I think Dallas has been a little bit looser than they need to when it comes to oddman rushes and, and puck possession. So I think you are probably, you know, power play is your primary focus. But I think if you're the stars, you're also doing a little bit of work on, you know, on coverage, on what to do when things break down and, and just making sure I don't think you you don't need to lock it down, right? You have the advantage of Jake Ottinger, take advantage. But I do think you're you're having a little bit of a remember Caesar, thou art mortal moment and saying, hey, just because the guy's stopping 95% of the pucks he's seeing right now doesn't mean we need to play like we expect him to stop 95% of the pucks he sees right now. Right. I mean, you kind of go back to my clip from last week where yep. the Stars still have some issues with sorting out defensive coverage when the puck's coming at them. Yeah, and, and and that's probably a season-long thing. You, you get used to it as you play with people more. But uh, if it doesn't happen, it leads to high-danger chances, and we've seen way too many of them. Yeah, and it's a good time as well to make a change like that because nobody's depressed at a bunch of goals going in. You know, you can you can make that change um, from a position of strength and say, hey, we're doing great, let's do better, versus you know the power play, which is more of a, like, hey guys, we're we're we are getting outscored. Let's maybe figure that out. And then we'll close with this. What do you think happens against Columbus? I I'm think think the team's going to finally get a blot in their favor. I'm going to watch the Columbus game it's Saturday right now. They they play today against the Islanders. Uh, should be a nice little challenge for them. They're off to a pretty good start. They they can roll down to three lines. We'll we'll see we'll see what the team looks like. Uh, ho- hopefully, if nothing else, they can have a decent first period. Yeah, I think that's that's what I'm looking for. So I I like you said. I think. I think this is a team that has been getting better, um, has been coming together, and I think we see some of the fruits of that bear out against the Blue Jackets as well. All right, anyth- anything else you want to get in before we wrap up? No, I think let's let's wrap. Uh, we are going to have a special uh, episode of Stargazing coming up here in the next week. We'll do our, uh, our semi-annual uh, Texas Stars podcast with Stephen Meserve. So look forward to that. Looking forward to that as well. Thanks again, Mark, for your insight, for your coverage, for getting the the clips all put together. KT, for doing the recording and all of the hard work to make us sound smart, which goodness knows is a lot of hard work. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Keep the comments and suggestions coming. We thrive on feedback. We aim to please uh, like and download and read the excellent coverage on the site. and, And we will check in again after Columbus. 